All right, so we're going to start this new series today. It's called The Greatest. If you don't know this, Jesus taught us how to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. I just got to be honest. I have no interest in being the greatest uh, in the U.S. I have no interest in being the greatest in the world. Uh, There's other people that are really good at being the greatest at other things, but greatest in the kingdom of God. Now, that's something that sparks my interest, and Jesus gave us the answer. Luke 22, 25 through 26, Jesus told them, in this world, The kings and great men lord it over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you, it'll be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. So Jesus tells us that the greatest in the kingdom is one who serves. This is something he didn't just say. He didn't just preach. Jesus lived this with every breath he breathed. He lived this with every second he walked this earth within the flesh, even his first miracle. Have you thought about his first miracle, turning water into wine? What blows my mind every time about this miracle, it's not that water became wine. It's that his mom said, I need you to turn this water into wine. And he said, I don't want to. But then he did it anyway. He didn't really say the words, I don't want to. He said, my time has not yet come. Actually, he's a woman My time has not yet come. If I'd have called my mom woman, my dad would have slapped me, right? You can't call your mom woman. This was a little bit different, though, than the way we would do it. But he says, my time hasn't come. In other words, he said, this is not what I was planning on doing today. Is that crazy that Jesus was such a servant, even something that was not a part of his perfect plan? He laid down his own perfect plan to serve his mom and the people at the wedding. That blows me away. It also throws away the whole idea that if I'm not in the perfect will of God, nothing's going to go right for me, right? I will say it's best probably for every one of us, not probably, definitely, to walk in God's perfect will for us. However, he's so good, he's not going to leave us alone if we get out of it. In fact, he's going to make every step of the way enjoyable and good and get us back on track. And sometimes really great things happen even when we're not necessarily in the perfect Will. So Jesus was such a servant, he was willing to lay down his own idea of how his ministry of miracles started to serve his mom, to serve strangers, maybe people he knew at a wedding. It's just something to keep in mind here. There's another thing we're going to talk about, and it's what's in that picture right there. That painting is Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Here's a little bit of background on Jesus washing the disciples' feet. We all might know that he did that, but do you remember the timeline? This was the week he was going to be crucified. In fact, when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, it was the last time he was alone with them before he was crucified. So you imagine, you got these guys, these ladies, whoever you imagine, you're trying to completely mentor them. You're trying to teach them everything you know because in Jesus's case, he knew these are the 12, well, 11, because Judas was in this group as well, and that's a big deal. We're gonna talk about that. But he knows these 11, I need to reproduce everything I am inside of them because they're the ones that are gonna go out and change the world for billions of people to come. And the last time he's with them, he didn't say, all right, huddle up. Let me tell you again how to heal the sick. Let me tell you again how to raise the dead. Let me tell you again how to spread this gospel with your words. All these things are important. But he didn't say that. 
The last time he was alone with his disciples, he pulled out a basin and a rag, wrapped himself in the rag, washed their feet, and then used the linen cloth that he wrapped around himself to dry their feet, and he taught them how to serve. And he gave them an example of how to be the greatest in the kingdom, to get low and to wash the feet, to serve. Not just the ones who love you. Judas was there in that room, and he washed his feet. Jesus completely had all knowledge of what Judas had already done and what he was going to do. Yet Jesus bowed down at his feet and washed them. So we're going to read John 13, 1 through 17. Talk about this as we go along. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. Why is that important? Because he knew I'm not going to be with them much longer. If I'm telling them anything else important, I got to do it now. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. Man, I want people to be able to say that of me. He loved while he was on earth, and he loved until the very end. So it's the last time he was with them. It's a very important moment, so just keep that in mind. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. Why is that important to know in this moment? Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So in this moment, Jesus, fully knowing who he was, what he was there to do, how he would do it, talking about giving his life on the cross, taking stripes on his back for our healing, taking nails through his hands and feet, a crown of thorns just bearing down into his skull with blood dripping down, taking our sickness and diseases upon his own body. He fully knew all of this, and he was also aware of his complete authority on the earth. And what does he do next after we hear about his authority? Spoiler alert, it's coming up here in a few verses. He gets down, and he pulls out the basin, and he washes their As soon as we mention, or the writer, Luke, in this, I'm sorry, John in this case, the disciple who knew Jesus best, mentions his authority, the next thing that happens is Jesus leans down and begins to wash their feet. I think it's funny that an act that the world might see as belittling, God sees as an act of authority. And I promise you, every one of us in here, want to walk in authority, but the way most of us picture it is no different than how the Jewish nation pictured it all these years ago. Caesar was the one with the authority. Who has the authority? The person that has the chariots, the person who has the spears, the weapons. Who has authority? It's the Roman soldiers, the tax collectors that can walk up to us and tell us what to do, and if we don't do it, we're punished. Yet the one that had the real authority in the middle of all this And the one who was about to show an act of authority so deep that the human mind really cannot even comprehend it without the help of the Holy Spirit. He gets down low and he serves. 
He doesn't just serve. He washes people's feet. I mean, like, y'all know there are some nasty feet. Like, some of us in this room probably got some nasty feet. Like, there's some people who have been in church their whole life that are already sweating, thinking, is pastor about to do a foot washing? Because I know right now my feet need washing bad, but I don't want anybody else to do it or see it. There's some of us who are actually ashamed of our feet, right? You're sweating a little bit. But I just think it's funny that what the world sees as a belittling act, this is what the lowest person should do, is an act of complete and utter authority. Do you want to operate in authority? Get down and serve somebody. Get low and serve somebody. And honestly, I don't even know if we're going to get past this point today because this is so important. Think about who was in the room. Every one of those disciples, except for John, would desert Jesus in his moment of greatest need except for John, and then there's one more exception. Judas didn't wait till he got to the cross. He betrayed him and is the reason he went to the cross. Those are the 12 he is serving and washing in that room. We like talking about being like Jesus. We want to walk in what he walked in. We want to walk in the authority he walked in. We want to see the sick healed. We want to raise the dead. We want to to walk in authority and and, and see ourselves uh, get promoted and walk in blessing. But I'm telling you, don't skip steps one, two, three, four. Those are the easy ones. Serving is easier than all that stuff. What takes more? Jesus asked a question when the the Pharisees were waiting to catch him in the act of healing on the Sabbath, because they considered that work, and he knew what they were thinking, and there was a man with a withered hand. And he knew they were watching this guy, and they were like, oh, can you imagine being in church and being so angry? Oh, Jesus loves healing people. We're going to get him now. When he heals this guy, we're really going to tell him what's up. Man, what evil ways of thinking, right? So, so Jesus is seeing this guy. He knows what the Pharisees are thinking, and he asks a question. He goes, hey, guys, what's easier, telling somebody their sins are forgiven or healing them? I don't think anybody actually had the nerve to answer him, but the obvious answer is looking at somebody and saying, your sins are forgiven. But he doesn't say that. He does the harder thing. He says, stretch out your hand, and this guy stretches out his withered hand, and it's no longer withered. And instead of seeing the miracle, the Pharisees just see somebody breaking the law. Man, I don't want to be a Pharisee. I have been before. We've all been there. So I have a question kind of like that. What's easier, raising the dead or getting down and washing somebody's nasty feet? Which one are you positive you can do right now? That's the easier one. Right? Think about it. We got the same faith in us that Jesus had, but I got a feeling it takes quite a bit of it in operation to see the dead raised. Do you know how much it takes faith-wise for me to get down and wash somebody's feet? Probably zero. Probably no faith. It takes a set of decent knees. It takes some water. It takes a rag. It takes two hands. I got all that. I don't even need faith to get water and a rag and some soap in here. We want to do the things that take a lot of faith, but we don't want to do the things that just take a little bit. There's things that are progressions in life. The reason a lot of us don't have a million dollars is because you can't handle $10. You got to learn to handle the little 
before you're going to be able to handle the great. Jesus has given us a picture here. Look, you may not all at this moment lay hands on the sick and see them recover, but every one of you can wash somebody's feet. We like doing the big things. Some of us don't want to do the small things. We all fall into that trap. Every once in a while, we all can. But man, Jesus' whole ministry, we see this over and over again. And I said this a few weeks ago, and I'm going to say it again. Jesus would preach a sermon in most churches in the U.S., and most people would leave. It's just true. He would clear out churches faster than any one of us in here could clear out churches. It's just the truth. You know, he, he told the disciples in the book of Matthew, I believe it was, he says, it's Matthew 541. He said, if a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Easy, right? Think of it one in one ear, out the other. We always say this, go the extra mile, right? There's so much more to this, right? This is the very quick version of the history, but the Jewish people did not have a country to call their own. They were living under uh, an evil man. They were living under an evil ruler. Caesar, the Roman army that you see portrayed in movies, had taken over Israel, had taken over the temple, had taken over and was trying to wipe out their entire culture, this military society. And one of the laws was that if a Roman soldier was tired of carrying his own gear, he could find any Jewish citizen and demand that they carry his armor for a mile. And we're talking heavy armor, soldier's armor. This isn't like lightweight vest and stuff like we have today that we would consider armor. This is like steel. This is like hard metal. And they could look at you if you were a Jewish person and say, carry this a mile. And Jesus said, hey, when those soldiers that persecute you, the soldiers that are trying to wipe out your entire religion, when those soldiers that are trying to wipe out your entire culture say, hey, carry this gear for a mile, Carry it too. Carry it too for them. And then consider the fact they got to walk two more miles back to get where they were in the first place. We're talking about walking four miles, two of them, carrying heavy armor for somebody that doesn't care if you live or die at all. If Jesus stood up in a church and said, hey, who's a Republican in here? I want you to serve all the Democrats. And then when you think you've served them enough, serve them even more. Or then he said, oh, and, and who in here voted Democrat? I want you to find every Republican in here and then ask them what you can do for them today. Ask them how you can serve them. Go to their house and scrub their floor and clean their toilet. I'm just saying, it's kind of quiet because most of y'all know you'd be out. Maybe not y'all. Not our place, but some places. People would be out. Jesus says, hey, here we go. We're going to think about your greatest enemy right now. I want you to think about that person at work that just rakes your nerves. Maybe they're trying to get you fired. I mean, they, they posted on social media. You knew that post was about you. I want you to, oh, what am I going to do? We're about to get them back. I want you to go to their house. Ooh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do when I get to their house? You're going to say, hey, can I scrub your toilets? Do you need anything done in your house? Can I vacuum your floor? Do you need me to cook a meal for you? Not only that, but he's like, and do it out of a good heart. Don't do it to smite somebody, right? Don't do it to make them feel bad. Do it because you actually love them. And then when you're done, say, and how else can I serve you? We like the idea of giving words to people on the street 
and, and seeing the city. We love the idea of worshiping together in our church, growing and people doing all that. And it's all good stuff. But we want to skip this stuff that takes no faith whatsoever because it involves us getting down and getting dirty and washing somebody's feet. But Jesus didn't just say it. He did it over and over and over again. And we're thinking about these stories where he says, carry the soldier's armor two miles. He's washing Judas's feet. But think about you. He knew full well, you, by your name and by your face, when he chose to live and die for you. He knew your sins, the ones in the past, the ones you haven't even done yet. He knew it. And he still gave his life. He knew you'd spend years turning your back on him. He knew you'd spend days mocking him. He knew that you'd run away for 30 years. He knew you'd come back, and he knew you'd fall back again a little bit. He knew it all. Yet you're called the joy that was set before him. On your best day, you gave him joy, so he willingly laid down his life. On your worst day, you gave him joy, so he willingly laid down his life. His life. You want to do the big stuff? Start with the small stuff. And you might think, well, that's too big. And you're calling it small, but it's big. Try it. Try it. Watch how free you're going to get serving somebody. Then watch how free they're going to get serving somebody. We love to think about that table that God's prepared in the presence of our enemies, right? There's a whole lot to it. But what if part of that is you and your enemies at a table not being enemies anymore, like getting to know somebody, right? There's, believe me, I'm not making light of the psalm. There's all kinds of spiritual principles to that whole thing. But I'm saying there's something else that happens around some tables. If you're picturing people made of flesh and blood, your enemies at that table, then I got news for you. You're not eating and rubbing it in their face. No, you're sitting at the table with them. Because the Bible says that if it's made of flesh and blood, it's not your enemy. Your enemy is powers and principalities. The table that's set for you is set for all of your enemies, in hand quotes, that you think are your enemies made of flesh and bone because they're not your enemies. The table is just as much for them as it is for you. And you know who's serving at that table? It's Jesus. They were at a table ready to eat supper when he got down and washed their feet. There's so much more to this. He didn't just wash their feet. Him washing their feet was a reminder, and this is something that we also remember, even if we don't know it, when we serve others and when they serve us as well, of his righteousness. So just like everything Jesus did, there was surface-level stuff to it, but there was also so many deeper meanings. He was fulfilling Scripture with every breath. In Isaiah 11:5, written years and years and generations before Jesus walked the earth, Isaiah the prophet wrote, Righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. The linen cloth he used, the word linen in Greek, uh, or, or the word cloth that is used in the New Testament is actually the word linen. And in the Bible, linen represents righteousness. It represents Jesus's righteousness. So when he washed their feet with the water, we know water represents the word. When he washed their feet with the water, he then dried them off with a linen cloth that represented his righteousness. And I love Peter's response because it's like a lot of us also respond. Here, we'll go back to our text here. It says, he got it from the table, took off his robe. Remember, this is just as he was remembering that he had all authority on heaven and earth. 
He stood up, took off his robe, wrapped a towel, that's the word linen cloth, around his waist, and poured water into a basin. When Jesus, uh, he wrapped it around his waist, poured water into a basin. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. And of course, Peter protested, no, you'll never wash my feet. And this is great. Peter's always like on on either side. He's never sober-minded. That's what the Bible says, be sober-minded. Peter is the exact example of somebody who's extreme one way and only extreme the other way. He goes, no, don't wash my feet. Jesus says, believe me, you want me to. Unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Peter exclaimed, well, then wash my hands, my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Wash everything. And this is great. There's so much more to this than what you read on the surface. Jesus says this next, a person who has bathed all over. That is a Greek word, and the word is luau. It looks like the word luau, like you've heard that. But what it means is like a whole body washing, a cleansing from head to toe. So Jesus says, a person who has bathed from head to toe and is clean all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. That word clean is a different Greek word, is nipto, and it means to wash the hands or the feet. So Jesus is telling Peter, he's like, listen, You don't got to run to the altar and get saved every Sunday. He's like, you're saved. I've washed you clean. What do I got to do? Just keep your hands and your feet. The part of you that interacts with the world, just you keep that clean. Stop feeling guilty like you. You got to get saved. I've backslidden so far. God's not a part of my life anymore. No, Jesus is saying, if you've received me, you're clean. You have been washed by the blood. You don't need to have a new experience encounter with me. Just renew your mind. Just go to my word, the water, right? And wash your hands and feet a little bit with the water of my word. Keep your mind renewed to who I am. Remember, he dried their feet with a linen cloth. Remind yourself that it's not about your own works. It's about my righteousness. And as you remember my righteousness in your life, You'll be walking around clean from inside out and with clean hands and feet. This is a powerful example. Jesus is basically saying, remember, nothing in your life is about your actions. It's about my actions. And when you keep that in front of you, man, your hands and feet will line up with who you are in me. Your hands and feet will line up with who you are on the inside. And he's telling us all this by getting low and serving And let me tell you, when we serve our brothers and sisters and when we serve those who betray us and we serve those who don't deserve it and we serve our family and we serve our church, it is not only something good to do. It not only helps people out. I'm telling you, even if you don't think of it like this, it is a reminder that no matter what you've done, you are worthy because of Jesus No matter who you are, you are worthy because of Jesus. No matter where your feet have walked, you are made worthy because of Jesus. No matter what your hands have touched, you are made worthy because of Jesus. This is the entire gospel. Well, not the entire gospel. This is a huge part of the gospel. That it's Jesus' righteousness that makes you worthy, not your own. And as we, as humans fall into the trap of making it all about ourselves and our own good works. That's called self-centeredness, right? We, we think of self-centeredness as somebody who is selfish and, 
and, and uses all the family's money or, or, or uses all the free time for themselves, but also in a way self-centeredness is looking at your life and saying yes to guilt and condemnation when you are a blood-bought, born-again believer and you're wasting so much time and effort on that guilt and condemnation and people you know are dying and going to hell because you can't get your self-centered mind off of your own actions and onto the actions of Jesus. Because when we remember that it's about his actions, we are going to be quick to share the gospel with everybody we come into contact with. Friend, hand quote, enemy, right? Whatever it is, whoever it is. When we are not so focused on our own shortcomings or anybody else's, the gospel just comes out of our every action. It comes out of our mouth. And when we share the truth in love, it makes a difference. And sometimes someone's not listening or they got something else going on, getting down low and serving, man, it can change an entire situation. Jesus gave us this picture, and I want to be like Jesus. I want to see the dead raised. I want to see the sick healed. I want to see a sinner become a believer as they hear the gospel. I want all that in my life. Do you know what, though? This is something, and it's like a, we, we, we want to skip steps one through raising the dead, right? We want to skip all these steps and go to the end. And Jesus is saying, listen, here's an act of authority. Get down low, wash somebody's feet. You know, in, in the time they lived in, in, in Rome and all throughout the land, there, was, there wasn't like a shower in everybody's house. There was public bathhouses. You would get in them, you would wash, and sometimes people would wash in the river. Uh, but you guys know, you've been to the beach, you've been to public pools. Well, there's nothing about a public pool that's going to make you clean, actually. That's, that's disgusting. <laughs> Whew, we got to pray hard at those public pools. You ever gotten in a public pool that just feels thick, and you know this is not just, this is not just water and chlorine. There's something thick in this water. It's okay, though. You're redeemed. <laughs> Okay, but I'm sure these public bathhouses weren't much better, right? Uh, but you would get clean, as clean as you could get, and then you get out and you step on the ground with your bare feet, and as soon as you do, you got dirt and grime on your feet. This is what Jesus was referring to. He's like, look, you've washed your body. You're clean, but there's still a part of you that touches the world, interacts with the world. Wash your feet, and then you're good. Spiritually, he's like, you are 100% righteous, blood-bought, I paid the price for you. Stop living in guilt and condemnation. Renew your mind. Wash your feet with the word of God. Remember it's about my righteousness. And now go remind somebody else. With words? Yeah, sure, words are great. What else can I do? Can I, can I pray for them? We'll see miracles? Sure, that's great. Why don't you start with this? Go serve. How do I be the greatest in the kingdom? Get down low and serve. Jesus remembered his authority. In the last moments, he was going to be alone with his disciples, and he served. Think about, though, this is how we'll close, because I have so much more, but I just, I'm going to have to close here. Think about what he could have done in that moment. This is my, seriously, just think about this. What all did we see him do in the word? We saw him become transfigured on a mountaintop and have a conversation with old prophets who didn't live anymore. 
Some of us are like, man, if I could see that, I could live the rest of my life and never doubt whatsoever. These guys would be on fire for God if they saw an interaction like that. He could have called fire down from heaven in that moment and shown them a miracle. He could have said, hey, bring me a dead kid. I'm going to raise him from the dead in front of these guys. Bring me a sick person. I want them to see me do one more miracle. He could have given every one of them a deep word of knowledge. Peter, we've never talked about this, but you know that thing that happened when you were seven or eight years old? Listen, the, you remember what it was, and I'm, I'm going to give you, I'm telling you about it. And listen, God loves you, and he's healing you right now. How did you even know about that? Well, just like when I saw Philip underneath that tree and gave him a word of knowledge, this is something the Lord's showing me about your life. He could have done that with every one of them. He could have prophesied, John, you're going to write books that change the world. You're going you're to tell people about me. You're going to give people the greatest revelation of me than anybody else could give them. He could have said, uh, Peter, oh, man, you're going to see so many miracles. You're going to walk down the street one day soon. Your shadow is going to touch somebody who's sick, and they're going to get healed. Man, he could have given every one of them a word of knowledge. He could have prophesied. He could have, he could have done about anything you can imagine in that room, yet he wrapped a linen cloth around his waist. He knelt down. He got some water. He washed their feet. Then he dried it. That's powerful. If you want to be like Jesus, this is a great way to start. Anybody can serve. Anybody can serve. And You know, when you talk about going the extra mile or even what Paul wrote about love, that love prefers the other. I mean, it's so easy for me as a husband to, to, to apply that to my wife, to my children. Love prefers the other, of course. I love my wife, and I can really get into a selfish mode sometimes, but I, I'm going to remember this. I'm going to prefer her over my own needs. I'm going to prefer my kids. I'm going to make sure they get fed before I get fed, right? It's easy to prefer the other when you love the other. What about when the other is Judas? What about when the other is Peter, who you know, listen, I love this guy. He's so extreme. He's going to deny me three times in just a few days. I'm going to be on the cross hearing him say, I don't know that guy. It's easy to prefer my friends. But what about when I prefer the ones who have wronged me? What about when I prefer the ones who are loud and vocal about how their politics and, and their, they're, it's the opposite of what I myself think? And Don't get me wrong. It, politics are important, and the church should be involved in it. And I got strong, strong opinions personally. I'm still called to serve and love the ones who think the exact opposite of me. And you ain't serving them if you're talking about them and doing whatever you can to tear them down. Can you imagine looking at somebody that maybe on every fundamental level besides Jesus you disagree, and you say, how can I build you up? How can I lift you up? How can I hold your arms up when you're getting tired and exhausted? Man, it's going to be revelation for us if we can get that. Love prefers the other. The band can come up. You know, Jesus, even in parables, 
talked about this all the time. You know, the Samaritans, you know the story of the Good Samaritan. If you don't know that history, one of the really important parts of the Jewish culture was all through the Old Testament, God would say, listen, don't mix your faith with the faith of other cultures. The Samaritans were one of the first major groups of Jewish people. Uh, well, well, the people, uh, people broke off from the Jewish community and married complete enemies of the Jewish nation. And the result was the nation of Samaritans. Not only that, at one point, they attacked and burned down the temple, the Samaritans. They were not just a different person. They were not just a different race of people. They were also absolute enemies in the minds of most Jewish people. And Jesus is telling a parable and he says, a guy falls into a ditch. Then a Pharisee walks past him and says, can you help me? He goes, no, I got to get the temple. I got to get the church. And the next guy, Sadducee, walks past him. Can you help me? No, 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 I got something to do. I got to go, I got to go raise the dead. I got to go heal the sick. I got to go do whatever. Actually, Sadducees are not believing but either way, they had something good to do rather than help this guy, this Jewish man who fell into a pit. And then Jesus makes a point to say, and then a Samaritan, and I'm telling you, everybody that heard him say it, went, have you ever felt the air get sucked out of a room? Have you ever felt everybody in the entire room cringe a little bit? Oh, what's he going to say? Jesus, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it the air got sucked out of the room when Jesus said, and then the Samaritan came by and helped the guy out of a ditch. Who in this scenario was a neighbor to this man? Well, it was the Samaritan. There's no way you could deny that in this story, the Samaritan was the neighbor. We call him the good Samaritan. What we might not remember is that that was an enemy. wouldn't last in a whole lot of churches today. Because when the air gets sucked out of the room, that's when a lot of people think, okay, I don't think I'm going to go back to that one. That was a little bit awkward. But the greatest in the kingdom is the one that serves. Whether you're looking at your brother or sister sitting beside you. You know, just like I, as a pastor, I feel like if we don't take up an offering, it's I don't think that we don't take up offerings and tithes because we got to pay the bills. It's not because we have people on staff. I mean, it, it's great that, that we're able to use giving here to, to have people on staff, and it's great to pay our bills. But the main reason for, for taking up an offering, and I believe that part of the reason why our church and all of you are such givers is because the reason we do this is because we need a chance to give. It's one of the foundations of our life as believers is to give. Finances, time, whatever it is, is to give. Serving is another way to give. And we have opportunities to serve even within our body. It's not because it's nice to have programs. The reason, the reason Pastor Will is in Children's Church right now, if y'all are wondering what Will Price is, our youth pastor that normally just plays amazing guitar on stage, he's in Children's Church today. It's not because we need somebody in children's church i mean we do obviously we do but it's because serving you guys your, your parents are in this room right now not concerned at all about the safety of your kids 
because Johnny Karate or whatever has got him over in the other building having fun with them and teaching the word. And you're in here having an encounter with God because Pastor Will is choosing to serve. I actually volunteered for children's ministry a few months ago and Lisa and Brittany said, no, no, it'd be weird if you served. That's weird. I said, all right, whatever. The worship team and these guys practice and they don't come in and play bad music. They come in and play good music partly because, man, then we can have an encounter with God and we're not distracted by bad singing and wrong notes and nothing wrong with that. I love making a joyful noise with bad singing and wrong notes, but these guys on stage do their best to serve create an atmosphere where we're not distracted by feedback and, and things like that where we can just encounter the Lord. And what about your own homes though? You know our vision here at, at FCG, our ministry, our, our vision is always in this order, hope of Jesus in our homes, in our city, in our world, home, local, global. This has got to start in you. This has got to start in your home. Serve your family. Prefer the other. When your husband or your wife makes you mad, that might be the better time to serve them than when they're all mushy-gushy and lovey-dovey. We're waiting for them to be lovey-dovey, and then I'll go do whatever it is that's nice to them. No, no, serve and just do it. Your kids, what about when they're screaming? What about when they're annoying? What about when they get ornery? Serve your kids. Let that overflow into your church, into your job. And then next time you're in front of that person, that Judas, why not? Let's just take it there. That person who hasn't just denied you, but they've talked trash about you. What can I do right now to lift this person up with no ulterior motives? Just to be a support to them, to love them. They might not want you to wash their feet. Or they might. I don't know. But there's something thinking right now about somebody that could be a word for somebody in this room right now you might be thinking of somebody right now he's definitely not saying i should serve that person that's the exact person that's the exact if you're waiting for a sign that is your sign <laughs> say that was my sign look that better say that was my sign who did you think of y'all y'all know who you thought of every i see so many of y'all smiling it's that cheeky smile that my kids do like when they're like they kind of know they did something wrong. This is when they were younger. They were kind of cute. They were like, I kind of did something wrong, but if I smile, you know, it'll be like a little cheeky grin. Y'all cheeky grin people got somebody in mind right now. Yes, serve them. Do it today if you can. Do it today if you can. Give a little text. Hey, can I bring you lunch? Why? Because I love you so much. I'm telling you, it will change your life. It'll be revelation. You want to walk in authority? You want to do it like Jesus. Get down and serve somebody. Even if you don't want to do it, it doesn't have to be something you love doing. I don't think Jesus in the natural just loved washing people's feet. Sometimes you just serve because there's a need. I already talked about Will and Brittany. I mean, they've been on staff at church now for years, but years ago when they said, hey, what can we do at church? What, how can we serve? I looked at them and I was like, well, our biggest need is youth ministry. They said, we've never wanted to do that before or thought about it before. 
But they stepped in. They said, well, we'll, we'll be there with you guys on Wednesday. Lisa and I were the youth pastors. They started serving with us, alongside of us. Within a year, all of a sudden, me and Lisa, the youth didn't like us anymore. They only liked Will and Brittany. And I'm telling you, they have passionately served the youth group for seven years now? Seven years? Six of those as the youth pastors. And not one time did they ever have a burning desire to do youth ministry. But there's not one kid in here, there's not one teenager that would be like, yeah, I can tell Will and Brittany don't like us. Partly because that's just not true. They like those kids, they love them. And as they served and they've gotten revelation, they've seen kids give their life to God for the first time. They've seen miracles within these teenagers' life. It's because they said, yes, whatever you need, whatever's needed. And they got low and they served. And now Brittany's getting an invitation to preach at places that aren't even called FCG. And it's awesome. And she's going to get so many more because she's an amazing teacher. She's an amazing preacher. That's how you do it. That's the progression. Get down low and serve. Stop waiting for the big stage. Stop waiting to raise the dead. Stop waiting to heal the sick. Stop waiting for all that. Get down and serve somebody and watch a miracle happen. Amen? Come on, let's stand together.